This is Que Esperanzas, a series on Book Public from Texas Public Radio. The expression Que Esperanzas is an ironic or pessimistic interjection meant to convey there is little hope and the improbability of success. Book Public's Que Esperanza series focuses on short stories with protagonists who are women surviving catastrophic injustices in their everyday lives and facing them with a thin measure of hope. On this episode, we discuss The Cape by Dion Irving. Mina and Neil had an exciting, scandalous courtship. He was her professor when she was a university student. They marry and grow into the routines of that relationship. We soon realize that Mina may have neglected her own interests to become Neil's wife. Those interests rise to the surface while they are away, staying at a cottage on Cape Cod so that Neil can recover from wounds he received from a terrible accident involving fireworks. It's the off-season, the town is quiet, and Mina and Neil must turn to each other. Neil needs Mina's help in this context. Mina, we soon discover, may not need Neil any longer. Here's Dion Irving reading from The Cape. The Cape. The Wellfleet house had been empty for nearly three months when they drove up after Neil's accident. Mina wasn't sure how long they were going to stay on the Cape, so they rented their apartment in Boston to some of Neil's graduate students. She'd been like them once, one of Neil's adoring acolytes who stayed after his graduate seminar on modern European history, then on into his office hours and then into the evening for drinks and tapas on Newberry Street. Summer season was over and the traffic minimal. Mina drove the whole way, missing three cops and saying one of her little prayers under her breath. While she was going 90 miles per hour in a 60, her sister Patty had last used the house last, driving up from D.C. with her three kids, the new baby, their toys, and their dog. Patty had married a Hawaiian man and was one of those people who had sent an etymology of her new offspring's name, along with the birth announcement, Royal Child, Heavenly Blossom, Star of the Sea, Beloved. Back home in Cambridge, Mina had hung the cards on her refrigerator before deciding that two weeks was quite adequate to celebrate a royal child and threw the whole thing into the trash where Neil dumped coffee grounds on it only an hour and a half later. Signs of her nieces and nephews were scattered over the front yard. Twin doll heads and matchbook cars hooked on a piece of fishing line swirled off the leafless bushes. I asked them to tidy up before they left, she said, as she watched Neil take in the toys, the chipping paint, the overgrown lawn. And what about the boy you're paying to look in on the house when we aren't here? I don't pay him much, she said, and how much isn't much. She didn't answer him, but turned off the car instead. They sat there for a moment, unaccustomed to seeing their summer house in the winter, looking weathered and defeated. She brought the bags inside and put on music while Neil turned on the TV. She made dinner and they drank wine in the living room with supper and didn't talk, just listened to the stereo playing Billie Holiday songs about stardust and love. And while they did, Mina noticed everything that was wrong. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I love the way you read. Oh my gosh. That's beautiful. Oh, thank you. So please tell me about Mina and Neil. I mean, what is the backstory? We pick up so many clues just from this short excerpt, but what can you tell us about their backstory? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's in some ways, this is very much a story about power um, and kind of in, imbalances in power um, in that, you know, they they had a relationship where she was the student and and he was the professor. Um, and, you know, that that power dynamic in this story has has shifted in, in interesting ways. And in ways that I think cause uh, some imbalances in their marriage, ultimately. It's really true. As this Wellfleet house, it seems like a character on its own. I mean, at this point, it's in disrepair. It's a little bit neglected. It's in the sort of, you know, this other off season. And it seems rather symbolic of the, at least the stage of the relationship we're in with Mina and Neil at this point in the story. So I, I just find that so fascinating with the house, all of these elements about the house. Yeah, there's something about like places like tourist places and off seasons to me that that like have a real sadness to them. Um, and I have really good friends that grew up on on Cape Cod. And, you know, it was so interesting to the difference between going out to the Cape with them in the summer versus, you know, going out in the winter, you know, when when it was the whole feel of the place was very, very different. Yeah, and it's a little bit more desolate, and she's noticing things that may be like the whole rush of summer where there's so much to do she wouldn't have otherwise noticed. And then Neil's accident is another, you mentioned the shift in the power balance. Neil's accident is really something terrible that occurs, and it's, I mean, it's a near-death experience. It seems to have sort of altered life as they knew it, maybe also life as they knew it in this, you know, what is supposed to be a very carefree space for them. And also the idea of Neil in the eyes of of Mina at this stage. And at this stage, she's now 34 and he is an older man and he was her professor and all of this. But yeah, like there's so much going on post accident in terms of her perceptions about things. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, one of the things that is really interesting to me in part in this story is that in some ways it sort of challenges the notions of of marriage you know i think that that we all right get into marriage with with sort of the best hopes right of what marriage will be right but you know there's a reason that the the vows say in sickness and in health right till death do us part because there are going to be difficult things you know i, I often talk with friends about these litmus tests that are sort of natural that happen in life um, that test a marriage that have nothing to do with any of the other things that could happen in a marriage. You know, uh, you, both your parents will die at some point. And how how will your spouse help you through that or, or not help you through that? You know, there will be loss, there will be failures, there will be successes. And, and how do you navigate those things through the course of a life? Right. And those are just the really run of the mill things that happen. Right. Um, there can be bigger and larger things that happen that test a marriage that make you consider, you know, which way a marriage is going to go and, and how you continue on from that point. Yeah. And there's these intimations too, with just Patty's children and the, the toys that are strewn about and these sorts of extra things that she would have to do if she had children. But the, there's sort of like this intimation of maybe that that's not in the cards for her. And she can just so offhandedly, you know, after a little while, throw the photographs away and he throws the coffee grounds on top of them. It just seems like hmm, they're they're not really the two of them in this marriage are not really in the same sort of space to accept that role just because they're married. That then the, the foregone conclusion is that they they will be parents. It just seems like they're not in a good space to e even take that on at this point. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think one of the things that absolutely shifts the power dynamics in this story, right, is I think when you have children inside of a marriage, like people have to take on roles of, of caretaking, right? Um, I think sometimes that's where children cause stress in a marriage, right? That like, if caretaking is imbalanced, or, you know, the, the burden of taking care of another human being, right? And we don't often think about the ways in which we have to caretake for our partners, right? Um, we might think about the ways we do that emotionally within within the space of a marriage, but for a couple who ostensibly in the in the story has not had children, right? Um, one of the things that that really does shift that power dynamic is where all of a sudden she has to become caretaker. And I think as a character, this isn't like a role a that either comes naturally to her or, or that she really ever wanted. Yeah, and it it also seems like. She admired him at one time, you know, sort of in that way that we, you know, maybe in in that setting where she he's the professor. She admired him at one time, but now everything's changed. And on top of that, he doesn't do very much. He can't do very much except watch television. And he's on leave from the university. And they're basically living off of his disability and then she becomes really industrious, right? And he's less industrious. She she becomes more industrious. She bakes and she gardens and she gets a part-time job. And it really, then we begin to see the ways in which maybe she doesn't really need to depend on him that much. Yeah. I think that's I, I think that's sort of the nature. Um, and as somebody who's worked in universities for a long time, <laughs> it's it's kind of one of the things that's problematic, right? It's why so many universities have regulations in place against, you know, instructors and and uh, students being in any kind of romantic relationship, even if they are consensual, because there is sort of this odd power dynamic, right? That even outside of the bounds of a classroom, you can't escape, right? And I, I think that to me, one of the things that was really interesting in terms of thinking about that marriage is even though, you know, that's the way they met, you know, I don't think she sort of understands how much that, you know, kind of implicit power dynamic was still at play in their relationship until it's completely reversed. Yeah. And there's another crack in the facade as we see when she makes um, the sidecars, these alcoholic drinks, and he sort of throws in her face the idea that you know, her old life before him was like somehow beneath him. It, it seems like he's deriding it a little bit. And I feel at that point in the story, like, wow, if it if it wasn't patently obvious before, like if we weren't picking up all of these clues, there's such a, a high tension there. And what's so interesting to me is in sort of right in that space of the story where they're having the cookout, for me, there were then these reminders of the night with the fireworks that caused his accident. That's such a high moment of tension in the story, I think, for the reader, because all I could think about during the cookout was the fireworks. Yeah. And, <laughs> and even though nothing super dramatic happens in that very pointed moment, the tension is so incredible. And, and we see that they're actually not communicating and she's going to, you know, pull a cigarette from her secret stash of cigarettes and have a smoke. <laughs> <laughs> and and then it's just like this, this really interesting space that I just think captures the way that silence works. Well, that's the wrong word. Silence <laughs> doesn't work <laughs> uh -huh. in certain moments in relationships. 
And and I think that's sort of, you know, one of the things that to me is is kind of interesting too. I mean, it's it's maybe a little cliche or silly, but you know, part of that idea of like, you know, it's not just sort of fighting that shows a marriage is, is problematic, right? It's like when the fighting stops too and you're not communicating with each other at all, right? Like that's also not a good sign, right? Like you don't want too much of either, you know? And I think that that, that is kind of one of those things that was interesting to me. There are other failed marriages in my in my collection of, of stories, but I think this is probably the quietest one. And the one that I think for me was the thing that was kind of interesting about these characters was, you know, I think we often think like that marriages kind of have to sort of implode in these, these, these really big ways, right? It's like got to be infidelity or something sort of, it's got to be a really horrible fight or disagreement about something. And I think that, that one of the things that is interesting to me about this marriage is like, it ends because like the relationship isn't the power dynamics in the relationship aren't what either of these people thought they were going to be. And that's one of the reasons that it has to end. And that's a really intangible thing in some ways, right? That I think maybe would be hard to explain, right? Well, you know, the power, the power sort of situation in this relationship wasn't the way that I thought it might be. And so that's why I have to go. Um, But in some ways, too, that gets to really like any sort of failed relationship, right? Whether that's a friendship or a, a romantic partnership, right? That I think people often leave when whatever the situation it is, whether it's, you know, arguing or or differences of opinion or or people have changed in different ways, right? that the reason you you end things is is because they weren't what you thought they were going to be. That's exactly right. I mean, I think there's something here about, you know, when the chips were down and he really needed her help, I feel like there wasn't enough of a foundation. There wasn't their their marriage wasn't strong enough at that point to begin with and she could now I feel like she so everything was sort of stripped away at that point and it was really just the two of them and of course she can take care of him. You know, this very, I, I don't want to give everything away, but what <laughs> happens at the end of the story, everybody must read this story. It, <laughs> it does show this, you know, she she talks about this idea of love and guilt, yeah. right? Where she says, you know, this is what, this is what is um, sort of keeping anybody from making a move, like sort of disrupting a marriage, a relationship, there is love, there had to have been, and there will be guilt. And the idea then, you know, sort of by stories end when it's raining, and then we see that the roof is leaking. And yet, you know, here's another, here's more evidence of the disrepair in the house that's sort of symbolic of so much else with the two of them, sort of the dam breaking, right? They're not having things together. They do connect, they can connect physically, and they they can connect, you know, intimately. And she can do for him and she can take care of him, but it's not going to be enough because what what was elementing it to begin with, but this this power imbalance. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's it's maybe not very romantic of me in some <laughs> ways, but, you know, I think that y- you see statistics on things like arranged marriages, right? And and they have sort of much better, better rates of, of uh, success, right? As opposed to, you know, love matches. Um, and I think that in some ways, like, maybe it's because those relationships start out 
with a different set of expectations, right? You know, the, the expectation isn't going to be, I love you. That's why I'm with you. You know, I'm with you for a lot of reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with romantic love. Right. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I, as, as dark and, and bleak as that is, I think in, in terms of thinking about, you know, love sometimes, I think that in some ways that's part of what makes love matches it uh, may be a little harder to sustain right because if things change and you're there for because you you love the person which is a good reason to to be there for somebody but that change really can eat away at love in like lots of really weird different ways right that I don't think anybody expects when they link their life to somebody Deanna Irving thank you so much for talking to me today I really appreciate it thank you so much Dion Irving is the author of the story, The Cape. It can be found in her collection of stories titled, The Islands. This has been Que Esperanzas, a series focusing on short stories with protagonists who are women surviving catastrophic injustices in their everyday lives. On Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. We had help from David Martin Davies. I'm Yvette Benavides. 